In this episode of Upward Calling, we talk about freedom in Christ. Welcome to Upward Calling. We help Christians develop a relationship with God by talking with University Church of Christ evangelist Josh Creel and Dr. Kenny Embry. Listen as we take a deeper dive on a lesson from a recent Sunday service and help you apply it Monday through Saturday. How you doing, Josh? Doing well, Kenny. Christmas is upon us. My mother and father are actually uh, on their way to my house right now. So, Lord willing, by the end of the day, they'll be here. So, time of a lot of travel for a lot of people and just uh, spending some time with family. That's exactly right. And in commemoration of the season, I decided to grow a beard. I have been made, uh, I've had the comparison to Santa Claus a few times at this point. I'm, I'm not going to ask exactly what, they, what they're trying to compare there, but I will say having a beard during this time of the year is, is an interesting experience. It's the jolly disposition on your face, Kenny. Yeah, let's just go with Coupled that. with <laughs> the white whiskers, Santa Claus it is. Oh my, I tell you. It, there, there are advantages to getting older. Okay, uh, you talked about this this last time about meat sacrifice to idols. Uh, we've talked about this passage several times, but there's a reason for that. This passage gets trotted out a lot, and there's a lot of conversation about this this passage in Romans, uh, which was Paul was concerned with, with meat sacrifice for idols. But I don't think I've ever heard this passage applied to meat sacrifice to idols. There's a principle that's at play here. Uh, what is that principle that Paul's talking about? In the Corinthian context, I think the principle is if you're only basing your practice on what is definitively declared right or wrong, you may very well wind up being wrong. Because that seems to be, and, and I know that when you get into uh, the original manuscripts and, and how different translations you know, translate that, there's no quotation marks. The ESV does what I think is a pretty good job of supplying the quotation marks, where in chapter 8, Paul is quoting what the Corinthians were saying. And what they were saying is, we're free. We know there's no God but one God. We know an idol is nothing. And since there had been no definitive, hey, don't eat meat sold in the market or you know, don't go to an idol's temple for a civic event, we are free to do that. And of course, Paul's point in this is, well, you're not free, one, if it leads to your brother sinning and you're not free if, in, for instance, in, when we get to, to chapter 10, if this actually winds up drawing you away from God, then you need to just realize you weren't free to do that in the first place because it drew you away from God. And that's what's most important here. So I think that's the real principle that, that Paul is getting at, that, yes, there, there's freedom when we, when we don't have a definitive law about something. But there has to be a whole lot of thought put into how do you exercise that freedom? Yes, and I said Romans, and I meant First Corinthians. Uh, the The thing about it is, and I, I got to tell you, this is this is an application that I grapple with because often what I what I see is uh, sometimes that I think it's it's applied perfectly well, and some sometimes it's it's people who know better 
who know what, what the right thing is, but but they're going to try and get other people to fall into into this way of thinking with the with the assumption that that well you know it's it's the way that it's going to look. Uh, there are things that are true, and Paul makes that argument that 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 the, that the meat sacrificed idols is just meat. Um, and that there are things that are more helpful, or that that idea of expediency, and oftentimes what you're talking about, the thing that you know to be true, ends up what you end up doing is exactly the opposite of what you know to be true. Timothy was circumcised, and Titus was not, and neither were under the law of circumcision. When do we know when to defend our rights and when to give them up? The use of Timothy and Titus, I think, is helpful here because both of those cases only make sense in light of the context. Right. So Timothy is circumcised, and you look there in in Acts 16, and it's pretty evident why. Because they, as Paul is on this missionary journey, they are going to these various cities, and they're always going to the Jews first. Right. Well, to have a uncircumcised Jew proclaim the gospel, that's kind of going to turn some people off. They're not going to listen. So Timothy was not circumcised because God demanded it, but it was going to be a hindrance if he wasn't. On the converse, Titus, well, this was pressure. Okay, here's a man, and he's a Gentile, and there is pressure to have Gentile converts circumcised. And Paul says, no, we're not doing that. We are, we are not going to compel him to be circumcised because there's a principle at stake here. Are the Gentiles free to come to God through the gospel or do they have to go through Judaism? So the, the circumcision and uncircumcision of those two characters gets to really where I think we have to look at a lot of the things that, that we are dealing with. Alcohol is probably the, the, the issue that's the clearest to look at in this because as we've stated before, and not that I wish I couldn't, I wish I could just find the passages that said, Hey guys, don't drink because God says right here, never take a drink. Right. Well, I, I don't have that passage, but I think, and you look in the, the cultural context in which we're in and you look at, you know, just how devastating alcohol is to so many lives and so many families. From a contextual standpoint and our societal standpoint, that's why I urge people, don't drink. You know, if they're going to, and again, I don't have, you know, I don't have the the authority through the, the gospel to say, okay, you've done that, you're wrong, come back and repent. But I hope they would at least be very careful in how they consume alcohol and not doing it where it would be a stumbling block to someone who may, in fact, suffer devastating consequences uh, of this. And again, I think you have to look at your, your cultural circumstances. If we were living in first century Greece or Palestine, our, our view toward alcohol would be very, very different from what it is living in 21st century America when it's just shoved down our throats and you look at all the societal ills that come from it. So I think you have to look at contextually there. What is the wiser course? Yeah, I, a friend of mine, uh, and I don't mind naming him. It's Martin McCrary. He and I. This is one of the conversations that we have a lot, which is, uh, and it sounds weird. I'm not arguing in, in favor of alcohol because I 
consider myself a genetic alcoholic uh, because alcoholism runs in my family. So I'm not going to try it because I think it is a devastating thing. It would be, I'm not sure that I would be able to moderate it much like I, I really can't have sugar because I don't know to, when to stop. Uh, so I don't do it at all. Um, the, the thing about it is, is I, but, but I would also argue that there are guys that I know that consider themselves good Christians that have a, a wine a night because they think it's good for their heart. Um, is that true? I don't know. I mean, but do I, do I doubt their sincerity? No, I really don't. And I've, I've heard about cultural cultures like in, in Europe where wine is, is the table beverage, but it's not meant for excess. And I get that. But, but that said, do I think it's a terrible idea for people in this culture? Yeah, I really do. Because I don't think we, we do moderation very well in, in, on this side of the pond. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. And I think that's where uh, – and the reason why I tried to use the, the total of 8 through 10, which is a lot to go through in one lesson, because particularly in chapter 10, where, where Paul draws his attention to Israel, who – is laid low in the wilderness. They, they are overthrown in the wilderness and they mm-hmm. are doing things that are specifically contrary to the will of God. And then Paul makes application to something that's not specifically contrary to the will of God. And he says, you've got to be careful here. Yeah. You drink of the cup of Christ. You can't engage in behaviors that are actually going to lead you to worshiping or being affiliated with something else. That's the point that I want people to, to see today. Yeah. You can say from scripture that, you know, there's, there's no definitive passage that says it's wrong to take a drink. Okay. But it doesn't have to, for it to lead you into some very, very bad places. And for us to not heed the warnings, that's, that's kind of where we're going at. Yeah. This reminds me of the conversation we've, we've had this conversation a few times, which is that idea of idols. That, that that there are things that where there's a position in our lives that lives that that God deserves, and part of that is is doing the right thing because you know it's the right thing. Jesus, I think, intentionally healed on the Sabbath to have the Jews question what the Sabbath meant. Was he violating the traditions of the Jews? Absolutely, I think he was calling him into question. I think, and that, I think that's his point. I think that's that's why he makes the point that the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. Uh, but by the same token, I think one of the things that 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 we need to be very conscious of is is that you can do harm without meaning to do harm. Uh, Basically, it, it makes sense for you to consider the people that are around you and how you can be more helpful to them. Did you see what I'm saying there? That's how Paul, you know, he states that in chapter 8, and that's how he ends his, his argumentation in, in chapter um, 10. You know, he wanted his readers to avoid doing things for the sake of conscience. And he says, not your conscience. Your conscience is clear in this. Right. However— Maybe the conscience of your guests or the, the ones who had you into their home, the conscience of other brothers and sisters. Right. That's what I'm wanting you to take into consideration here. Now, again, that only goes so far. There, there are, in, in all the things we talked about Sunday, 
there are, it's, it can be pretty easy to go from, okay, I know I'm free in this. And so you engage in freedom and a clear conscience. And before right. long you've sinned, you know, that's, that's highly possible. And so that's why all these things have to be, um, you know, well thought out. Should, I guess I should say. <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 you're, you're talking about liberty and that's, that's, in this series of lessons, what, what you're talking about is, is liberty. The series is over. It's done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the unintended series. Oh, but I think it's an important thing thing to talk about. And and one of the things, I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say is you can go overboard on the freedom train. That 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 you can that you can basically make arguments toward freedom that that where you start treading on thin ice. But you can go to the opposite extreme, and I think that's what Phariseeism looks like. That that they they were they were so concerned with with not violating the law that, that that they were enforcing the hedge around the law, and they weren't they they had they had left God in, behind so that they could focus in on the law, and and that there's a do you see what I'm trying to say I there? I think Kenny, you and I probably both grew up in churches where the the con- constant consuming of any amount of alcohol was probably publicly said that's a sin. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, boy. And again, that's, that's the position I, I take personally and I would love just to get up and say publicly, if you drink, you sin. I can't do that. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That is, I think, like you said, putting that hedge around it. So, you know, we don't want to, we don't want people to go too far. We don't want people to, to transgress the will of God. So we'll just say it's biblically wrong. It's not, I, I, there's so much that you have to think about and you need to apply, yeah. but, I, but I can't do that. Same thing. I can't get up there and say, young man, it's a sin. You kiss your girlfriend. Well, I, I don't have a leg to stand on there. Right. However, that's not to say that there do not need to be serious conversations about how young men treat young women. Right. And not, going by what is acceptable in your peer group, what is acceptable even on her behalf. There is such a thing as a man and a wife are going to be joined together and they're going to be one flesh. You are going to be joined to a woman one day and that's your wife. That young girl is going to be joined to a man one day and that will be her husband. That should have some pretty serious ramifications for how we treat the opposite sex when we're dating or courting or however you want to go by that. Yeah. And I think one of the things you're kind of uncovering, we've talked about alcohol. You're, you're talking about what we do during dating. You could talk about, you could talk about gambling. You could talk about, I mean, there, there are so many things. What you wear, you know, all all kinds of things. It goes to any, any, any one of these things that there are principles that should govern us. Mm Mm-hmm. There's there's a lack of definitive. Here is what you must do, and here's what you cannot do. Right, and I, I guess one of the things that, it, and you said this at the very beginning, context and to a certain extent intention both have to play a lot into this. Uh, you talk about modesty. What was modest in, in 18th century is different than what's what's modest in, in 21st century. So I mean. Y- Things change, and 
the 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 law is is against lust. The law, God's law, is against lust. God's law doesn't have any any catalog numbers for what what pieces pieces of apparel that are modest, because those. And I, I realize I'm I'm not trying to be controversial here, but you have to again use good judgment and have good intention. Do you see what I'm saying there, Josh? I do. And even going back to the, you know, Paul talks about conscience at the end of chapter 10. Well, yeah. we've, we've stated this before. What is conscience? Conscience is literally with knowledge. Okay, so how do we truly act in good conscience? Well, knowledge has to be shaped by something. If our knowledge is, if our conscience is only shaped uh, by knowledge of what is specifically approved and specifically disallowed, Mm -hmm. then you've got a pretty weak conscience. Conscience should be formed by knowledge of who God is, Mm -hmm. what God's intentions are for us, what God desires of us in our lives as far as holiness. How does God want us to affect other people? Right. If I have all of that knowledge, then conscience is a pretty good guide because it's it's formed by the principles of God himself. Yeah. Um, I'm about to make a generalization here. Uh, What you're talking about is is kind of intrinsically divisive. what is the advice that you would give the people who would define who would defend their freedoms, and what would be the advice to people who would condemn those freedoms? Because I, I think basically, and I'll go ahead and say I, I think this often happens at different ages. When, when you're 18 to 22, which is the age that I deal with, they are trying to push boundaries, and I get it because they're trying also to to, to create their own identity. They're trying to say, I'm not my mom and dad. Um, I'm different than mom and dad. So they're kind of, they're kind of creating their own identity. Yeah. And, and that's when they start pushing boundaries. And they start questioning traditions and things like that. But as, as turning into some of the older guys on, in the church, Josh, we recognize that the, if there's a fence there, there's probably a reason for the fence. That if there's a tradition there, there's probably a reason for the tradition. Maybe the church has outlived the useful the usefulness of that tradition, and maybe it's not. So again, let me go back to the question: What's the advice that you would give to somebody who's trying to challenge? And what what is the advice? Well, on either side of this, side of this, yeah. challenge the freedom and challenge the tradition. The advice I would give to the one who is challenging or defending their their freedom is. Read 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. The advice that I would give to the one who is condemning the one who is acting in freedom is you read Romans 14 and 15. Because those two passages deal with both sides. Mm -hmm. What I want the person who is just glorying and reveling in freedom is to take to to heart, you know, again, the most well-known passage uh, in 1 Corinthians, that section is chapter 9, 24 through 27. Athletes deny themselves. Mm-hmm. They, they just do. They they deny themselves so much in pursuit of a goal. 
heaven is what God desires for us, the eternal crown, the crown of eternal life. Mm-hmm. And so just recognize that you're going to have to deny yourself some things to, to be able to have that. There's some freedoms that you're just going to have to deny. I, don't, I can't tell you for, for necessarily what they are, but none of us are, are achieving the, the, the goal and reaching the prize without some pretty diligent training Mm -hmm. and denying ourselves of some things to the other side, you know, just outright condemning. Now, now granted, you know, again, some of these things, yeah. um, You can tell when someone is, is taking freedom and they've gone further than freedom allows. You can tell that with alcohol. You can tell that with modesty. You can tell that with how young men and young women treat each other in in dating. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some things there that's not just being judgmental. That's just being, no, we've got to go back to living in the right and not living in the wrong anymore. But when it comes to just dealing with those who, who differ in their viewpoint and even some of their practices about what's free, that's where Romans 14 and 15 come in. Who am I to judge the servant of my master, you know, that's, they're going to stand before him. And so where I find myself is I'm going to warn, I'm going to try to show these principles and and try to, to point out why this is the better way of living. But ultimately everybody's going to have to make their decision about what they view on those things and how they're going to live and practice those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, I, I would be I'd be lying if I said I, I hope people uh, that I don't hope people come to my viewpoint on that. I certainly do. That's the only reason why I speak about these kinds of things. But in the long run, you know, I, I, I I'm not going to be able to, to judge the servants of my master. He will judge. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm in need of grace and mercy. And, and we all are. You know, I would add only one thing to this. I, I disagree if you want to, Josh. I don't think you will. Um, I will use Romans 14 and 15. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that happens to us, especially when we have these kind of, of disagreements, is, is sometimes we find ourselves defending positions. And, and the, the, in the posture of defending, you are often in, in an attack mode. And I don't know that that helps us. If, on the other hand, you can find your way to loving the person who is in, your, in the opposition to your viewpoint, um, then I think that's going to help you a lot. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll agree with them, but if you cannot say you love the person with with whom you disagree, I, I would ask you, what is the motivation for your disagreement? Is is it so that you can be right? And I I, I got to tell you, I mean, this is something that happens to me every time I have a fight with Katie. How much how much do I love my wife, and how much how much is this pride, and how much of of, of this is no. I just don't want her to go down this road. And and I hate to say it, but but probably pride is, is too often the answer. That I don't want to be the one to lose a fight. Um, if you would be fine being proven wrong on your side, and, and, and because you love the person that, that much, then you're probably in the right conflict. Do you see what I'm saying there? I do, and I wholeheartedly agree. Because... Uh, while, you know, Paul does kind of change gears here when he gets to chapter 11, we're just a couple of chapters away from 1 Corinthians 13. Love right. is what has to, to govern all this, so I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, do you know what you're going to be talking about next time? 
I do. Sunday is December 24th, and as I typically do, <laughs> uh, I will preach on something related to the season. And this time, uh, we are going to speak about the Emmanuel prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7. But we want to look at, one, what is the context of that prophecy? Uh-huh. Uh, I, don't, I don't strive for controversy either, but um, uh, we'll just say that uh, a fulfillment of that prophecy to, uh, a thousand years or 730 years after it wasn't the only thing that Isaiah was talking about, but we'll get into that. But what we really want to look at is what does it mean God with us? Is that simply talking about Jesus living on earth or is there something more there? And that's what we're going to look at um, in this lesson. I love that. Uh, let me, I said this last night, I'll say it again. I love this season because it, it causes a lot of people who would never consider who Jesus is to start thinking about him, if only for one year. Yeah. Uh, one part of the year. So anyway, I love that, Josh. I, I love that, that, that you're going to, <laughs> not that you don't do this often, but that you're going to bring Jesus into, Jesus into it. I think that's a great thing to do. So anyway, thanks for, thanks, man. Thanks, Kenny. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get to know us more, you're welcome to watch a live stream service or join us in person at the University Church of Christ in Tampa, Florida. The sermon we referenced in this episode is in the show notes. We have all of our information at universitychurchofchrist.org. Until next time, God bless you in your walk with God.